Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 47, the one about mobile phone filmmaking, Twitter's new ticketed spaces, and the film Yesterday. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And joining me is my on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Rogerlog video series and the author of Cats, Mats, and Marketing Plans. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for that introduction. And of course, my co-host is also a man on a mission, but his mission is to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to you and listeners for your support. Roger, this is episode 47. We are inching closer to the magic 50, aren't we, Pascal? This is this feels really special. It feels special, and we will soon reveal what we're going to do about celebrating this milestone. 50 episodes, give or take a year of production. And I also wanted to say a quick hello to Steve Bonthrow, who left a lovely message on YouTube. And Roger, we got some lovely reactions recently from Paul Barros and Jessica Davis from Digiday, who just you know let us know that they are checking on social media. So big thank you to you as well. Let's move on because I've had a quick look at the notes. There's lots to go through. So let's move on to In the News. Southeast Asia has seen an incredible growth in live commerce, and the US is catching up fast with sales via live streaming forecasted to increase by 38.4% in 2021, according to eMarketer. Well, from 2023, Roger, the UK government will ban advertising prior to 9pm for high-fat sugar and salt products on TV and online. The new regulation is said to have a major impact on the £600 million spent annually by brands. According to a new report from Influencer Marketing Hub, more than two-thirds of influencer marketers are planning to spend more time on TikTok campaigns and less time on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Marks & Spencer is working with live video tech company Go In Store to allow customers to have one-to-one consultations or attend interactive store stream sessions hosted by retail staff on the website. Volkswagen has been using Pinterest to offer a virtual experience which includes taking the new vehicle on a test drive with a 360-degree viewing capability and walking customers through their favourite parts of the car. Well, according to research by ITV News in the UK, Amazon destroys and discounts millions of returned or unsold products each year, from smart television to laptops, drones, books and more, placed in boxes with a destroy label. Goodness gracious. In a live audio room on Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg confirmed that they are working on a new visual search engine for Instagram, which will allow users to tap on an image and find Facebook shops selling the product right now. And for you, Roger, the iconic London O2 building was recreated in Fortnite for a week-long <laughs> event, packed with secret rooms, exclusive items, and a live performance from Leicester indie band Easy Life. Indeed it was. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the current theme on uh, Fortnite is, is aliens. And I went in the other day and immediately got sucked up by this uh, flying saucer. Uh, spaceship and dumped in this facsimile of the O2 building. So it's been very well done. They're very clever, the Fortnite people. 
They're very clever because you don't see that um, happening a lot with regard to video game platforms or, or environment. I mean, as you know, I am a PS4 um, owner. I'm still working my way through the Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I promised myself this would be the last game I would play because I need to move on to other things such as film production. But then I learned recently that the Dungeons & Dragons franchise has released a new game. I'm like, oh, please don't do that to me. And maybe <laughs> what I need is like you to uh, play short, um, games because when you take on the campaign depending how often you can play per, per week or per day it takes months to complete that but Fortnite is still that kind of short sharp burst of activity isn't it yeah you can be in and out of a Fortnite game in five to five to ten minutes because of the way they structure it there's there's almost like a limited because they have this uh it's like the force field that gets smaller and smaller and smaller forcing you to effectively congregate in a short in a smaller space eventually the world becomes too small and everybody has to shoot each other or or, <laughs> uh, or leave so yeah you've got that time element so yeah 10 minutes is, is about the length of a fortnight game yeah maybe that's what i need to do now <laughs> i want to combine your first news item about live commerce and its growth in asia and the u.s and my news about Marks and Spencer's providing live sessions, whether one-to-one -one or group sessions using StoreStream. This is just fascinating because this live streaming element with shopping, we've mentioned it time and time again in the news for the past year, but it's gathering pace in the UK. What is interesting for me is that whilst it's an interesting news for Marks and Spencer to be doing that, they're almost like two, three years behind everybody else with regard to the smaller traders and the smaller marketers. Yeah, I mean, people have been doing product demonstrations on Instagram and YouTube for years, haven't they? And so you could argue that Marks and Spencer's is is catching up. Uh, it, it, this is I find this actually really quite fascinating because I'm not sure where we are with that the the the, the difference between online retail and real life retail. And the, the reason I say that is that yesterday in Edinburgh. The, this gigantic shopping centre opened. It's called the St. James Quarter. Now, it used to be the St. James Centre, which was built in the 1960s and was quite honestly a blot on the landscape, just a horrible 1960s concrete monstrosity. And they demolished it way back in 2016, and they've been building this new area. In it. And, it, and it's absolutely incredible, Pascal. It's huge. I, I, I walked around it yesterday thinking... I, I, even I didn't expect it to be as big as this. And it was absolutely packed. Um, the first time I've seen real crowds since March 2020. So that said to me, okay, it's a new shopping centre, obviously, but people just love to go out to physical shops and browse and touch things. Whether that means that they'll go home and then buy it on Amazon, I don't know. But I, I, I just don't know where things are with this difference between online retail and in real life retail if that's the way to describe it i would agree it feels to me as though traders have to now cater for two very very distinct demographics those who will enjoy the one-to-one -one consultation from home or indeed from the office during your lunch break or those who will favor the, the the traveling to the destination which i think that's the difference those who enjoy destination therefore you're into destination marketing and those will favor the the use of online and it'd be fascinating to do more research and some of viewers and listeners may have some data around again 
the the age groups that you know would favor going to the new venue in edinburgh and those will say no nah, i would rather uh, organize a, a one-to-one consultation or even just join a group session a last tall stream uh, it's just here to stay but who's going to win or whether it's going to be is going to you know even itself out over time is fascinating you mentioned the term amazon so i've got to use that as a segue into <laughs> this recent news and I've been thinking about it for the last few days, Roger, and I can't decide whether it's a PR disaster or to a point Amazon is so entrenched into everybody's day-to-day life that um, consumers are just going to continue buying from Amazon and almost dismiss the story. Yeah, I, I suspect it's going to be the latter, to be honest. I think that Amazon has become so convenient. I mean, I, I feel every time I buy something from Amazon that I shouldn't be. Uh, and that I should be supporting a local retailer. <laughs> that get, comes back to the argument we just said about online or, or in real life. And, and you and I have had this conversation before that, unfortunately, the service you get from some other retailers is is pretty bad, and therefore you default to Amazon. But this is really bad, isn't it? I mean, all this stuff that they're chucking, you know, it's it's adding to the the problems we have with the environment. And I, I just think that a global company like this whose owner is a multi, multi, multi-billionaire, just should be putting a much better example forward to the world rather than just creating all this landfill. I have some sympathy with regard to, well, two things, however, before I move on to having a sympathy. I'm going to go on the attack to say, so far they are denying it as well, Roger, which I no. think is why I'm thinking PR disaster is looming because it's it's true. This was videoed by staff working that has been reported to be happening in other part of the world. But I have some sympathy with regard to this is obviously them destroying products that is, is not theirs. And is it more to do with um, you know the manufacturers or, or, the, or the traders who are either not coming up with an answer suggesting to Amazon, oh, well, you can recycle or upcycle or you can donate because in my days in working in direct marketing and I had a supplier who had a, a kind of mailing center not far from uh, from Durham and the returned mail the bags of return mail was like a mountain literally was like a physical ma- uh, mountain of bags and mm-hmm. they kept ringing the um, the marketing agents saying you know we've got thousands upon thousands of postcards being returned because your database was shocking basically what do you want us to do with it and then we got an answer and eventually they had to destroy uh, the bags because it was taking so much space so there could be some some elements of truth in my account but it begins with a denial from amazon which i think is just very very unfortunate yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, again, you know, I, I read another article the other day that, uh, you know, if Jeff Bezos invested part of his billions into, say, giving the vaccines to certain countries in the world that haven't got access to it as much as we have, rather than messing around with spacecraft, you know, he, he could he, he could vaccinate the world on a fraction of his income. Now, you could argue, well, why should he? It's his mm. income. But on the other hand, come on, <laughs> you know, it's a massive, massive, scary amount of money. And I, I just think that these big corporates should be setting a better example. Uh, indeed. And that's why, you know, we have the news from the UK government by banning the advertisement of the fat food or sugar and salt rich food. Uh, just for, very quickly to close on the in the news, Mark, 
Zuckerberg. Mm. He's done quite a few audio rooms now on Facebook, uh, a lot more than the videos he used to do, which I think is interesting. But we know, allegedly, that Facebook is working on a Cologne to now Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces, Spotify, Green Room, and so on. So maybe he's also uh, testing his own uh, kind of solution. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. Um, I still get hundreds and hundreds of um, notifications daily about Clubhouse, but I've not been in it or even opened the app for for mon- months now. So it'd be interesting to see whether the the, um, the hype has died down or whether I've just I'm just ignoring it and everybody else is is still getting really excited about it. So if you are listening to the show or watching the show, let us know. Are you still in Clubhouse and, and is it still this great place to be or or has it sort of died a bit? Thanks very much, Roger. It's been very enjoyable looking at the news with you. Let's slow things down and move on to the content spotlights. Okay, Roger, this is one of our favorite segments of Two Geeks and Marketing podcast. What have you found on the interweb for us today? Okay, this week I'm going to talk about a video, and this video has been put together by a chap called Thomas Alex Norman. Now, the title of the video is How to Make Epic iPhone Videos, and it's described as a setup and a demonstration. Now, this is really interesting. Um, you know, going back to when you and I first met, you know, we were um, at a, an event and you were doing a presentation about how to make better videos. Um, it wasn't specifically iPhone videos. It was just videos in, in general. And you were using your expertise as a film director to give people in the audience great ideas for content and of course I got quite excited about that and I started altering the way that I shot my own videos and that's one of the ways that Rogvlog developed and I came across this guy Thomas Alex Norman around about that that same time now he's his background is similar to yours he's a he's a film director he's a filmmaker and he's spent a lot of time actually coaching people like you have on how to make better videos and Three or four years ago, he was putting out loads of content upon how to do this. And I sort of lost touch with him. And um, I didn't unsubscribe. It's just that I just didn't see any more videos. And it's only recently that I've started seeing videos from him again. And, And effectively, we're talking three or four years down the line now he's refreshing some of the content that he did before and this one I I guess is an update of one that he did do three or four years ago but he's taken into consideration the advances in the technology of the of the iPhone and the fact that it can now shoot in 4k 60 frames per second and all of that sort of thing and just watching this again there were so many things in it that reminded me of some of the things that you were saying pascal so on the one hand you could be making a video like this as well i guess um but it's really just one of those things that people should watch if you're making video if it's a whether it's a vlog or it's something for your company there are certain things that you can do even with a phone to make it look cinematic and really make it look incredible and this video it's about it's about 20 minutes long and as he says in the title it does a setup bit and the demonstration so the setup is just having a look at some of the um, settings within the iPhone camera that you might want to turn on or turn off so of course the first thing he says is make sure that you put the, the the tram lines into your shot so that you can do the rule of thirds and and again I'm sitting there thinking you know I I'm out with my video camera 
and I know about the rule of thirds. You taught me about the rule of thirds, but quite often in the moment when you point your camera to make it to take the shot, I forget about it. And it's good to see this sort of thing to remind you, you know, you just take a few extra moments to set up the shot, you know, alter the angle so that you get that rule of thirds and it makes the shot so much more exciting and so much more cinematic. And he talks about, you know, decide that you only want to film it in 4K, 24 frames a second, unless you want to do slow motion, in which case you might increase the frames per second and then change it during your post-production. And there are other things about auto exposure, making sure that you lock the auto exposure so that as you're moving around, the light doesn't go up and down. These are basic things, but it's really good to be reminded of them and then the second part of the video is is it is a demonstration and and, and the, the, i love this so much basically he stood in front of a duck pond in a park which isn't the most exciting of locations you know he could have chosen to do this on a beach in barbados or a mountain in peru or something like that but he chose a duck pond in a park and he just makes this duck pond look so incredibly cinematic. And, you know, he, 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 again, he talks about framing the shot. He, he, he teach, teaches you how to hold the camera steady, even without a gimbal, so that you can make a smooth sort of pan in or pan out. And, and I, I just came away thinking, this is incredible. You've made a duck pond look <laughs> cinematic. And if you can do that, then anybody can make anything mundane look really special so so that would that was it actually i'm i'm not going to talk um any more about it because some of the stuff is a little bit technical and it is a little bit geeky you really have to watch it to understand it but yeah thomas alex norman is back i don't know where he went but he's back and his videos are really worth having a look at super wonderful addition to content spotlight and i think you're right for all of you and listeners, for you and I, it's all about remembering those handful of rules. I'm sure you'll agree, Roger. There's not a lot to remember and learn. But when you get caught in a moment, uh, you know that video producers hate being rushed because this is where you miss a step or you misjudge a, a situation. And because once you adopt those rules, you have all the extra time and space to be as creative as possible. So I look forward to watching this one. It's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, the other one that, that again, you said this to me, I'm sure, at, at that presentation, it's the line of sight or the lines within your setup. So it could be that you're looking at a, a building in the, in the distance and you have the curb of the road going towards that building. So you just set the shot so that the curb of the road actually guides the eye of the viewer to what you want them to see. And those are the things you just don't really think about when you're in the moment out and about. You just take the photograph or take the video, but just pause and take a few moments to listen to some of these tips and it will really make your videos pop. And, and the reason why those tips work just for people listening and watching today is not because of video or the iPhone, it's because they have worked forever from the moment people were painting animals and silhouettes in on the wall of caves all the way to the Greeks and to the way to you know, contemporary artists and painters and sculptures. The human eye and the human psyche really like symmetries, really like curves and lines that takes you on a, a journey which is three-dimensional, which is why, you know, this video is, is going to be really, really interesting to watch for everybody. Cool. So what have you got for me, Pascal? 
Well, for a change, I've gone for what would qualify an announcement. So it is an article, oh. you could argue, Roger, a copywritten article, uh, announcement, should I say, from Twitter. Now, as I'm talking to you, I realize that Twitter now has been featured on every single segment of Two Geeks and a marketing podcast, from the news to This Week in History to the uh, marketing tech and app and so on. And if they ever were to produce a film, then they could also make it film marketing, Roger. But this is an announcement which has a very clear title of Be the First to Try Ticketed Spaces and Super Follows. These are two options that you and I mentioned in the news segment maybe um, two months ago, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, in and around the launch of Twitter Spaces. So these are essentially exclusive sessions that people in your network can attend against a small payment. This article was written by Ellen Avlicek and Heather Crawford working for Twitter Media. And what I've done really, I've taken the uh, the headlines of the article, the link is in the, in the um, kind of show notes, but I would like you to almost do a very impromptu mastermind about what would you do with that option? What comes to mind when it comes to doing sessions for your audience? So the ticketed spaces would be more of a one-off event, whereas the super follows is almost an ongoing membership type um, option, Roger. So ticketed spaces, you can earn money by providing an exclusive live audio experience. You are free to set the ticket price between $1 to $999. So that's the option. You can invite between just a handful of people all the way to a maximum of 100. But the key um, kind of offering and suggestion by both Ellen and Ether is to create a deeper bond and and more intimate setting. So this is for you to judge the, the 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 thing that you want to do, and you have the option to do some promotion by reminding people in advance about when the session is taking place. Um, but that's a ticketed spaces. So Twitter Spaces is more rolling out still to people with uh, more than three hundred six hundred subscribers. This will allow you to do one-off events that people would pay for. Now, super follows then is more about earning a monthly recur recurring revenue. Again, you can set up the uh, the fees. They are suggesting price point between $2.99 to $4.99 to $9.99 per month. So very similar to what you can see with membership website. And this is you providing essentially bonus content and great interaction with you um, than they can access freely on Twitter and Twitter Spaces. And what they're saying is that so far, the, the rule would be that they will retain 3% of your earnings to offset the cost of providing the, the platform and the solution. So I'm just curious about the user case. You know, Who would use that? What would work well? And in the case of what we do, you know, we are in corporate. As uh, I mean to say, in business, not we're not in entertainment, we're not in sports, we're not even in news. You know, what would be the examples that comes to mind, Roger, of someone to do either a one-off audio event or some regular monthly, weekly, daily shows that people would pay for on the subscription basis? Oh, I, I, this this is such a this is such a hot topic. Though, just before I answer, did you say that this is available to people with a certain number of followers, or can anybody have it? So, for now, those who have Twitter Spaces, as you know, is those who have six hundred subscribers or followers and mm -hmm. plus. And this mm -hmm. is about being the first to try. So, the call out from Ellen and Ether is to essentially put your name down on the list of people who are going to be the beta testers. Right. And you're going to be essentially testing out ticketed 
spaces or super followers and I suspect give feedback for them to improve on the, the option so that we can have a rollout all of us maybe in the autumn. Right, okay. I can absolutely see how ticketed spaces would work and actually it's not a bad idea. Um, I mean, if you've got a decent following and you're putting on a decent show, uh, I mean, uh, if we made Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast a little bit more interactive, I, d- I don't know whether people would pay a couple of dollars to listen to us record the show. They might pay a couple of dollars to listen to the show and to actually interact with us and ask, ask questions and, and be given answers and, and maybe even to jump on as well as you can in the Twitter spaces. So I, I can absolutely see some use in that and you know again we always think of it from a marketing perspective and would people pay to hear roger edwards talk about cats mats and marketing plans possibly they might pay quite a lot of money to hear a rock band talking about how they're uh, recording their latest album or a filmmaker like Guy Ritchie, I guess, talking about his latest uh, latest film. Uh, so, yes, I can absolutely see that. The one that I have the problem with is this super followers. Again, is anybody going to pay $2.99 to be a super follower of me? I mean, I'd have to give them some extra content. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But, again, unless I'm some sort of superstar, recognized film uh, film star, rock star, pop star, whatever it is, who is it that's going to pay this extra? Now, there is a website out there. Um, I think it's called OnlyFans. And it's, 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 it's almost like a, it's not pornography or anything like that, but it does have quite a few... Um, very pretty girls, not wearing very much clothes, charging people quite a bit of money to watch them running down the beach in their bikinis. And I just wondered whether, is that the sort of direction that Twitter might inadvertently end up going with the super follows? Because unless you are a film star or a rock star, what else are people going to pay for? And I, I just don't know where it's going to go, and, and, it, and it could go in the wrong direction. Am I being a little bit too alarmist here? Well, no, because there's so many examples. You and I could cite TikTok. We could cite Clubhouse. Um, The very recently released Spotify Green Room. I could tell Mm. you about what goes on in there, which is a little little odd. And as ever, the internet is only a mirror of the multifaceted society that we live in. Um, So for me, they're right to do bit of testing with a small group. I think they're going to have to put some guidelines in place so that it doesn't offset the way in which Twitter is currently being used. And for me, the ship of follows, it resembles so much the membership type offering that you and I know, which is multimedia, uh, really. If you think about some of our friends and colleagues who are doing membership type offering, they do live streaming, they have a library of templates, they, they have, uh, you know, kind of uh, Q&A sessions, they offer interviews with experts, you know, the, the thing goes on and on and on for, you know, a small value. With um, Twitter spaces and the super followers, it would be audio only. So mm. it's kind of interesting. And you're right, is it going to be more lean, a better offering for entertainers, news reporters, uh, you know, musicians, and so on. Whereas ticketing, ticketed spaces, um, which is hard to say, by the way, um, particularly when you're French, is one where I can see I've published recently a tweet that links maybe to an article I've written or to a webinar that I've hosted, 
And in exchange for a few dollars, I'm going to extend to uh, a Q&A with just maybe 10 of you or 20 of you and so on. It could even, you could even, you know, maybe um, Twitter should consider that. I'm, I'm assuming Ellen and Heather might listen to this conversation. Uh, give me some vouchers and I can gift those vouchers to my followers to again do something very, very special, unique, because maybe they came to my webinar. They've already paid for the training course, Roger, or they've already paid mm. for uh, the book Cuts, Mats and, and um, Marketing Plans. And you are offering a session where you can expand on the chapter of the book. So I, I like you, I really get the the one-off logical progression on uh, a free of charge or chargeable experience. Super follows, let's wait and see. Uh, there could be some you know, consultants and, and business owners out there are going to surprise us with something that is really quite clever. Indeed, yeah. I mean, the, the super followers, as I say, is just, is just the one that I just don't understand how it's going to work. And, and again, you're going to have to give those people specific content just for them. So I imagine that <laughs> once you participate, when you put a tweet up, I imagine you're going to have to select whether it's available to everybody or whether it's only available to your super followers. And if it's only available to your super followers, then it's going to have to be something different to justify the money that you want them to pay you. And one thing that I would like them to do with those two options, I can kind of understand why they don't do it for Twitter spaces normally, you've got to be able to record those sessions. Uh, otherwise, I, I certainly would struggle with the, the whole concept of offering premium content, charging for it, but I don't have a, a recording. Absolutely agree. Where well, you go, Twitter Media. I hope that was helpful discussion from the Two Geeks and Marketing podcast on something that I'm excited, actually, Roger. I will say I really like a, how quickly they are moving with this. And you and I did try, and it was reported back on Marketing Tech and App Twitter Spaces, and we liked it a lot. Indeed. Talking of which, let's move on to our next segment, which is Marketing Tech and Apps. Now, I must confess, I always look forward to this segment, Roger, because wow. you always manage to surprise me. So what have you got for us this week? Well, Pascal, I'm actually going to continue the theme that I started in my content spotlight. So uh, the guy who did the video about how to use your iPhone to make better videos actually recommended some uh, gadgets that can help you with your iPhone filmmaking. Now, I happen to have some of them, so I thought I would actually introduce those as a, as a almost like an add-on to that section. So, in admittedly, so th there's my iPhone. So, admittedly, part of the guy's video, he was he was telling you sort of how to how to crook the iPhone and to and how to guide it. But he did recommend that you actually have some sort of not so much of a selfie stick, but maybe a, a, a sort of mini tripod and a clamp, which can give you a bit more flexibility in your um, in your filmmaking and he did mention this little device which is from a company called Manfrotto and it's the bottom part I'm talking about first so this is called a pixie it's a pixie tripod and as you can see it's very small it's got these three rather small legs that go at the bottom and then it's got a ball and socket joint on top which allows you to alter the angle of the shot. Now it's so convenient, and of course you can you can effectively 
hold it almost like a selfie stick there by clamping those um, three legs together. Or, of course, you could open the legs out and put it on a wall if you're out and about, or you could put it on your desk if you're in the office. And the second thing, now, admittedly, this isn't the Manfrotto one, but I have included a link to the Manfrotto equivalent in the show notes. This is the clamp, again, that you can put your iPhone on or your Android phone, and it has an adjustable top, which means that you can obviously put the phone in either portrait or landscape mode. And that means that you could hold it and film yourself, do a selfie video or a vlog or, or something like that. And, and and that is remarkably simple, but it gives you that extra control. You're not having to balance your phone on a wall, which might be dangerous, or or leaning it against some books on your desk or something like that. And, and let's let's admit admit it, people do do that. Now, I, I just it just made me laugh that uh, I actually had some of these gizmo so i thought i would bring them onto the show the second thing that he introduced was actually an iphone well mobile phone gimbal now i've looked at gimbals before and i've looked at gimbals for my um my lumix camera and for anybody who doesn't know what a gimbal is it's a it's a another gizmo which you effectively put your camera on and it makes it it makes it smooth and it doesn't make it, it, it stops it from shuddering about and it actually keeps it on a level. So if you're walking along the street and you're inadvertently moving your body from side to side, the gimbal actually stabilizes the camera to completely still so that you couldn't tell that your body was moving some, from side to side. It's very, very clever. But g- g- gimbals for cameras like Lumix's, you're talking about four to six hundred pounds, you know, very expensive. And the gimbal that he recommended for the mobile phone is from a company called DGI. Some of you may have heard of DGI because they are a drone manufacturer. The DGI Spark is a very popular mini drone that you can buy for a couple of hundred dollars. And this gimbal is called the OM4. The OM4. Link will be in the show notes. And it's only $130. Now, again, that, that's not dirt cheap but it certainly isn't four to six hundred dollars and again in that video he shows you how to use that gimbal at the duck pond which i mentioned before and again just how to use it how to set it up and how to make it your shots a lot smoother and i have to say having played around and actually having quite a lot of success just with the physical device here that doesn't have any automation built into it, I am actually tempted to go out and buy the gimbal just to give it a try because I've never really used one before. So I'd love to hear any feedback that you listeners or watchers have got about the DJI OM4 gimbal because it's nearing the top of my must-purchase list. Oh, wow. And you're absolutely right. When we think about video production and what to invest in, I mean, you reminded me that the most recent iPhone probably performs better than the last camera I bought from my video production company. <laughs> and it was cheaper as well, I must confess. But the one thing that we all want to do is to have a very stable shot, which is where the travel comes in, or a shot that is smooth if you're in motion. And what the gimbal does superbly is cancel the kind of shutter movement and jittery movement that you get when you walk or change uh, and you can do some you know once you get practice with the gimbal as well you can do some lovely panning and scanning shots as well which makes it even more cinematic so um 
I, I think once you settle on the, the gimbal that is going to work for you, Roger, you're going to really be quite pleased with what you can do with it. I know, and I'm, and I, and I, and I think I'll probably end up eventually buying the more expensive one for the camera, but uh, I just haven't quite got that into into my head yet. <laughs> so for me this week, it's about having been more fun with your content because you know we need to be careful. You can't just be all work all the time, Roger. And I was reminded recently, I was, I was doing a video marketing um, workshop online with some customers. And I gave them some homework. It was fun homework. It was a video that was not really related to work. It wasn't like promotional video. It wasn't a any video. It wasn't news roundup. It was just actually telling a story using moving images and something that they could allow themselves to be a bit more creative. And then that got me thinking about what I see online sometimes that makes you smile or there's, it's a bit more irreverent, a bit, a bit more cheeky. And all of you, viewers and listeners, but also you, Roger, would have seen videos in particular where they use extracts from famous films and TV shows to actually marry up to the content or the context. So someone may be asking a question, for example, and then suddenly cuts to a clip of a famous film where a famous character answers the questions within three, four seconds, and then the main speaker comes back on screen. And you may have been wondering, how do they do that? Uh, and how can you do that maybe for some of that content which is a bit more social as opposed to promotional and I would say commercial in nature? And now two things, when you use extract, whether it's video audio, even with uh, static images from movies and TV shows, you are breaking copyright law. Let's be very clear about this. So how do those content creators get around it? Well, they claim, but they're still risking, you know, because I'm here to also give frank advice, they still risk legal actions if they do it the wrong way, but they claim fair use. Fair use, which is this idea of I'm using this extract in the spirit of creating a commentary, a discussion, a critique, or even to create some derivative work, but I'm not commercializing on this work. And that's what we mean by fair use. Do look it up, do read about it if you want. It still doesn't stop you from getting an email uh, at some stage to say, you're using this, we don't we want you to remove the video. But in general, when you do it in the spirit of explaining something or creating a commentary, uh, you will be fine. And, and the numbers suggest that that is, that is the case. So you need to obviously have prepare this, Roger. You may have storyboarded. So I'm thinking, for example, you doing another Rod's vlog and you end up having to intersperse your your kind of story with extract from one of your favorite films. So can you name, and there's going to be, I'll put you on the stop there, Roger, but can you name one of your favorite films of all times? Well, I mean, I, I'm actually going to cheat here because I did have a mess around with this website and I messed around with it looking for quotes from Snatch, which was the film that we talked about in film marketing last week. And it is one of my favorite films of all time. So I will stick with Snatch. Okay. So two options. You either know the quote, but you don't know where to find the extract, or you don't know the quote, but you can maybe use a keyword or a key phrase that is part and parcel of your, of your speech or your presentation. So the first website is called yarn.co, yarn.co. And what you can do, Roger, is indeed put a, a word like marketing, you can put a word like content marketing, you can put a, work, a word from Snatch, and it will find for you the three, four, five seconds from that famous movie and TV show and you can download a video clip. Please understand, once again, you're breaking copyright law, but with fair use statements in your video descriptions and more, then you should be fine. 
The second one allows you to capture longer clips, I would say, and the site has a lovely strapline called a site for cinema archaeologists with a database of nearly two million phrases and this one is called playphrase.me playphrase.me and what is lovely about this one is you put a keyword again or you put a short phrase and it will show you a selection of of the clips you can take from from films and again it's just about maybe trying something a bit different maybe um, roger something you want to do on a podcast as you'll see in a moment or indeed as part of your twitter spaces yeah i i played around with both of these websites and as i say i looked for uh words from snatch so i managed to find Bricktop saying feed them to the pigs errol um <laughs> and there was another uh one i found with Vinny going well i don't uh, re- referring to not knowing who Bricktop was and i just thought well i could say in a in a podcast or on a video something like I think digital marketing is dead and then put Vinny in and go, well, I don't. Uh, so it's that sort of thing, isn't it? It is, but, yeah. Just- yeah. Uh, but this whole copyright strike thing is the scary thing because we know that some artists and some film companies are a lot hotter on this than others. And, and you know, you can do a search on YouTube and you'll have lots of people talking about this. There are companies out there who will take you down even if you put in a minuscule amount of their copyright material. I mean, I, I had a personal experience of that when I, uh, you very kindly filmed me on stage at the Upreneur Summit, Pascal. You, I gave you my camera and you mm. filmed me with it. And you filmed me walking onto the stage. And as I was walking onto the stage, Chris Ducker was playing a piece of music in the background. It never occurred to me that piece of music would clobber me but when i first uploaded my vlog of youpreneur summit to youtube it got smacked straight away with a copyright strike for that tiny clip of me walking onto the stage and it was about three seconds that was it but i got clobbered so even fair use isn't a defense if you know fair use i've heard people say up to 30 seconds well it depends on the it depends on the distributor and the company and the record label if 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 they are absolute you know they are they're known as blockers and takedowners um and there are certain bands that will not tolerate anything um and and it's the same with film companies so you've got to be very very careful but if you can get away with it and of course the beauty of um youtube now is that it does the check before you actually press publish rather than you press publish and then get clobbered uh, so at least you've got that uh, that safeguard now yeah, I would say, once again, fair use is all around this idea of you creating content, which is about commentaries, discussions, derivative work, and so on. You're not commercializing on it, and but there's no time. I mean, there's 30 seconds, there's urban legend, even one second. If the creator, original creator is unhappy, they will let you know about it. But mm. you know, it's part and parcel, I think, of what you can do to be creative and do something just a bit different to surprise your audience and make them smile. But once again, Roger, as I've said before, none of this would be possible without the vision and the daring of pioneers of the recent and distant past. Let's move on to This Week in History. In 1894, the Tower Bridge across the River Thames in London is officially opened by the Prince of Wales. Its construction lasted eight years and required 31 million bricks and 14,000 tonnes of iron and steel. Wow, well in 1940, British entrepreneur and inventor Clive Sinclair is born in Richmond, England. He would go on to create the Sinclair ZX80, the UK first mass market home computer. 
1948, the transistor is demonstrated in Murray Hill, New Jersey, by scientists at the Bell Telephone Laboratory. This tiny invention would make possible the small battery-powered transistor radio sold to the public by late 1954. In 1960, the new BBC Television Centre opens and the then Corporation Director Gerald Beadle declares that the £12 million complex would be immensely important to British prestige and trade. In 1973, a solar eclipse, predicted as the longest for a thousand years, is observed by British, French and American scientists aboard the French prototype Concorde 001 supersonic aircraft flying at 55,000 feet. Wow, well in 1997, Ericsson, Motorola, Nokia and Unwind Planet created a wireless protocol that works on all network technologies current and future known as WAP, W-A-P. In 2007, Ratatouille, the eighth animated film produced by Pixar, is released. It won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature and was voted one of the 100 greatest motion pictures of the 21st century by the BBC. And finally, in 2011, 10 years ago, Google+, Plus, the social network owned and operated by the famous search engine, is released. This was the company's fourth foray into social networking following Google Buzz, Google Friends Connect and Orkut. Google Plus. I so, can remember a lot of people saying Google Plus was going to be massive, and it, and it bombed, didn't it? Well, all of them. And I can just say, I put a lot of time and effort in Orkut back in the days. I've I did put a lot of time of and effort in, in Google Plus, <laughs> and it, it's just to no avail. And it was just really, really sad and frustrating because I, I did like Google Plus. I liked you know the Google Circles and and the way in which you could meet people through themes and and different subject matters. I thought the uh, the interface was very elegant as well to use. More importantly, your Google Plus post could be uh, listed on Google search results. It was all great, Roger. I even made courses about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. The interface for Google Plus was fantastic. Uh, I can remember watching some videos of of people who've now become quite famous in social media saying i'm all in on google plus and like you putting courses out there becoming experts and then it just just didn't work it just didn't take off in the same way that facebook did It'd be fascinating to talk to people about why it hasn't worked. I mean, after four attempts, we know, although they're taking forever to do it, the, the ambitions for Google Maps to become mm. the social network for Google. They announced it 2018, I'm going to say, Roger, maybe a bit mm. earlier. Uh, but nothing has happened uh, since. Maybe they're very nervous about the fourth the four failures. Yeah, ab absolutely right. Yeah, gah. They'll, they'll, they'll come good eventually, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, uh, I must say, I'm so pleased that we managed to speak and mention Clive Sinclair. He doesn't always, um, his name is not always mentioned in and around the world of digital and computer. Others tend to steal the spotlight, but what an important contribution to the world of computing and home computing. Yeah, I mean, at the time, that the Sinclair ZX80 came out. I was still at school, and we had uh, a Research Machines 380Z at, at the school, which used, used to have to put a tape cassette in to load up the basic language in it. And I can remember when the Zinc Sinclair ZX80 came out, I'm thinking, oh my God, for £100, I can have a computer like the 380Z. And, and I remember being quite disappointed by the Sinclair ZX80 because it, couldn't do 
any of the things that the <laughs> bigger one could do. Um, and I, th- I seem to remember that even if, as you typed in the letter, the screen would go blank because it couldn't handle somebody typing and the screen at the same time. So as you typed, the screen was sort of flashing on and off. That might actually be a, a memory that I've invented, but I seem to remember that. So I didn't buy a ZX80, nor did I buy a ZX81. Uh, that's partially because my parents wouldn't buy me one. Uh, but I did get the ZX Spectrum, which probably was about two or three years later. But that was, to me, the ZX Spectrum was more like the first proper computer. Yeah, I mean, as you know from previous conversation, uh, we had the Oricatmos, but in, in the schoolyard, I remember fondly swapping cassettes with different programs, you know, from ripoff version of Space Invaders to yeah. RPGs like The Hobbit. But what was lovely back then, unlike what you have now, whether you had a ZX um, Spectrum, Oricatmos, a Commodore 64 maybe, you know, and all the names, you could all swap the different games. It's not like nowadays where if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation or another, you can't actually swap you know they, they've kind of locked the, the different platforms and it was just a, a, a great times because uh, like he was excitement of almost feeling quite a powerful to, to use the basic language to either create uh, games I remember once a friend of mine managed to create a cheat to solve maths uh, problems so that's, uh, <laughs> you know as opposed to doing by hand and stuff like that it was just a wonderful time the 80s for that yeah, I, I I used to have a lot of fun playing around with BASIC. And I remember one of the best things was somebody gave me a little string of computer words which would allow you to generate a random number between one and whatever it might be. So once you understood that, you could start creating little games like you could have a, a castle with a 100 rooms in it. And it was almost like you were inventing your own version of Dungeons and Dragons because you could then create a hundred rooms, but the computer would then randomize them. And I remember thinking that was so cool. No, absolutely. Uh, and and we're still to this day having to have you know younger people excited about coding. We spoke about the gaming industry and, and the wealth it provides around the world, but also we need coders for other form of computing from health and science to space travel and more. Talking of space travel, I was really impressed. I had no idea that um, people had flown the Concorde for scientific reason in 1973 to observe from a different viewpoint a solar eclipse. Yeah, now again, the Concorde is one of those planes which I regret to this day not ever flying on. Uh, My wife and I were offered the opportunity a couple of years before it went out of service to go on a special trip where we flew to New York on Concorde and came back on a conventional um, Boeing 747. And at the time, I, I mean, compared to the full fare you would pay on Concorde, which was thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, it was it was about nine hundred pounds each, and even then it felt expensive. And we passed on the opportunity. And then, of course, a couple of years later, the Concorde went out of service forever. But what you forget about the Concorde is that it tended to fly up to twenty thousand feet higher than most conventional airliners. In most airliners even today, don't go much more than 38,000, 40,000 feet, whereas the Concorde could go up to 60,000 feet, which is the edge of space. And and that's Mm. why these people were in there taking photographs of the solar eclipse. Very quickly, we must thank, obviously, uh, the phone companies, Ericsson, Motorola, Nokia, and and Warrior Planet for their foresight. Can you imagine the mess we would be in if wireless protocol did not exist? 
<laughs> I think absolutely right. Uh, but again, WAP's become one of those sort of legendary, <laughs> mythical things, hasn't it? I think we've all had a had a, uh, a laugh about WAP at some point, and and WAP became part of corporate. Uh, management speak mumbo jumbo at one point but yeah you're absolutely right we we like like we say every week we owe a massive debt of gratitude to all of the people in history for creating the world that we live in now and the world is a better place thanks to pixar in my view and ratatouille probably my, my top three of the Pixar. I don't like everything they've done necessarily, but I have to confess Ratatouille uh, is just, not because it takes place in France, but I just think the storyline, the characters, everything works really well in this one. Yeah, it's like a master chef of, uh, of animated features, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I love it as well because of that culinary theme. It's so well executed. Uh, one thing that I always look forward to in almost like a guilty pleasure in a story is when the young, you know, kind of apprentice is introduced to the different staff in, in work in the kitchen and introduced to this kind of uh, doer, silently Frenchman who can kill a man with his thumb. And uh, because allegedly he's been in the foreign legion. And I just love the way they introduced those different characters. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Ratatouille, any of our viewers and listeners, you, you're in for a treat. And uh, I would imagine by now it would be freely available on Disney Plus, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, Ratatouille is one of those films which I took my son to see when he was younger and growing up. And quite often we would go to see a film and he would be sat on the edge of his seat for the two hours or whatever. And I'd very quietly start to go to sleep and have a have a little bit of a kip. Uh, but Ratatouille was one of those ones which I stayed awake throughout. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right, let's get back into the present, Roger, with our creator shout-outs. Right, Roger. So who do you have under the spotlight this week? I'm going to give a shout out for a gentleman called Tom Bailey, and he runs something called the Flow and Grow podcast. And I was absolutely delighted to be a guest on this podcast just yesterday. The actual episode hasn't gone live yet. Uh, but the reason I'm giving it a shout out is because it's different. Um, and what Tom's doing is he's asking seven questions of his guests within seven minutes. And that's the limit of the podcast. And, you know, it's really quite hard. I've said this before. Keeping something short, keeping something simple is an absolutely glorious thing to aim for because most people like to keep things simple. But keeping things simple is hard. And you might think, seven questions in seven minutes? Yeah, absolutely no problem. But these are questions like, you know, about business development and about marketing and about building businesses and the answer each answer to each of the seven questions could be seven minutes long so you really do have to think about your answers in advance of going on this guy's show so that's quite challenging in itself but it was just really interesting to go on there and be recorded and to stick within that seven minute format and that to me uh, it just encapsulates everything that I absolutely strive for in marketing to keep things simple and of course having been on the show I did some research in advance of some of the guests that he's already had Tom's had some people on there we will recognize from the marketing um, and the speaking industry uh, he also uh, runs a separate blog called succeed through speaking uh, but I'm talking 
specifically today about this seven minute podcast so it's so snackable it's so no so snackable uh, and if like me you listen to your podcast at 1.5 speed the seven minutes effectively becomes just about five so it's one of those great podcast formats that you can just listen to when you've got a spare five minutes it's very motivating very uplifting and yeah tom bailey well done and thanks for having me on your show yeah and um, i will say I, I really admire this because i am incapable of doing a thing short form as you well know roger <laughs> that's just uh, you know history with regard to my, my content creation practices so anyone i can do that i just find it so inspiring and and really something that I, I always feel a little like i should experiment and and know more about the short form creation because it is about you know mixing the, the different styles and format now for me this is actually an accidental discovery, but a very happy one, Roger. I was actually looking for something else. I was looking for somebody else altogether. And as is often the case when it comes to the interweb, I stumbled upon this brand new podcast series, or brand new to me. The host is a gentleman called Jeff Aiken, and he's the host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Oh, yes, Roger. And I'm going to just quote from his website, a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. Isn't that just the best? Uh, talking about being creative, we spoke a moment ago about Twitter spaces and the, the idea of ticketed spaces or super follows. We spoke about this idea of bringing elements from maybe movies. Well, Jeff has been doing it since May of last year. I wonder whether the pandemic has something to do with it, where like all of us, he was stuck indoors. And maybe a project he's had in mind for a while, he just went ahead. And what he does, not only is he seriously talking, but let me be seriously, he's really delving into the details of leadership management styles, different ways in which you can you know, uh, nurture people and get the best out of them. He's talking about it with great um, knowledge and convictions. He's been a um, consultant for 20 years now. But by inter in putting in um, audio extracts from the different Star Trek series from the original to Discovery, it just punctuates that and reacts to the scene or to, to the exchange, but then brings in some real life uh, advice. I just think it's a wonderful way to go about it and no doubt creating something that brings your passion and your profession together, very much like we're doing with film marketing. So I just wanted to kind of give Jeff a shout out, congratulate him for finding his voice in this format, wishing him the, the the very best, really. And what is lovely, yeah, like I said, he started in May 2020 with um, a Star Trek Voyager um, episode, the, I think the very first one, where he examined the relationship approaches of Captain Janeway and Chakotay, and you kind of go, well, I know those, I can imagine those individuals in my head, but I've never had to sit down and consider their leadership style. Thanks, Jeff, for, for really allowing a subject matter which could be deemed to be dry, to be completely transformed by looking at it through the lens of the Star Trek series. I love this. I mean, I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking about, oh, could I do a podcast, you know, uh, marketing uh, told through the lens of Doctor Who, or or you could go down a really dark avenue, couldn't you? <laughs> Marketing told through the lens of The Sopranos, or something like that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's so interesting and so different, and and it has to be applauded for that that reason alone. Absolutely. So well done to both Tom and Jeff for the inspiration once again. Thank you, Roger. It yes. is time for film marketing. Yes. So, Roger, the movie we're going to review today was released in 2019, 
a pretty impressive year. I mean, at the time of this movie's released in UK, US, and worldwide cinemas, we were recovering from Endgame, the concluding part of a very, very long Marvel uh, movie series. And frankly, audiences around the world could have been forgiven to have missed or dismissed this gem, a movie called Yesterday, written by Richard Curtis, directed by Danny Boyle from a story from Jack Barth. Yes, and do you know what, Pascal? I first watched this film literally two weeks ago, and until that point, I'd never, ever heard of it. Not even heard of it. So not only did Endgame completely wipe it out for me, <laughs> it may it may even have, uh, have not existed at all. But as I say, I came across it, watched it a couple of weeks ago on Netflix, and absolutely loved it. And that's a reaction from everybody. Uh, I, I will confess, I was one, so you missed it, I dismissed it. And I feel very guilty. And if Danny, Richard and Jack are listening to this podcast, I offer my apologies sincerely because we watched it last summer during lockdown and it was, I'm sure you'd agree, a joyous moment. Two hours where really you are feeling lots of emotions for the different characters, but you're tapping your foot through across the songs from the Beatles. And if you know them well enough, like my wife, you sing along as well. Yeah, now it's interesting. I have to say, Pascal, I've never been a massive Beatles fan. So when we did see this pop up on Netflix, my initial thought was, well, I've never heard of it for, for a start. Secondly, my initial impression from the synopsis was that it was a jukebox musical along the lines of Abba's um, Mamma Mia or Sunshine on Leith, which is the Proclaimers songs, or, or, or We Will Rock You, which was based on Queen. So I imagined that there was this sort of made-up story which they'd force-fed the uh, the Beatles songs into, but it's not quite like that. They've come up with a, a bit of a science fiction uh, premise where basically there's some sort of solar flare or something which wipes the memories of everybody in the world that the Beatles have ever existed, apart from one guy. And so he spends the film effectively <laughs> nicking the Beatles songs <laughs> and becoming an international world-class rock star as a result. But you're right, the tunes are banging. Uh, I, th I thought some of the versions of the songs in the film were actually quite a lot better than the Beatles originals. Now, I'll get shot down and stones will be thrown at me by real Beatles fans, but you have to understand that I'm starting as a non-Beatles fan. So to me, the music stood out. I know some people think that the versions in the film were actually not very good, but to me, they did stand out. For me, uh, as a dismisser of yesterday, once again, I feel very guilty. Uh, I've been actually a lifelong Beatles fan. Indeed, my very first LPs, both for my 11th birthday, where the volume one and two, the best of the Beatles, given to me with uh, together with my record player. Back in the days, you know, there was a record player where the lid was the yes. speaker and you had to kind yes. of unhook. Um, and I listened to those two LPs over and over again. And, I, I, and my dad used to listen to it on this kind of around the house and so on. So, but I, did, I was so worried that it, they were not going to do justice to the song of the Beatles that I kept away. But also, I made the mistake to think it was, oh, well, Richard Curtis equal, lovely romantic comedy uh, i'll wait and i'll watch it uh, another time 
And now I wish I'd seen it on the big screen. Indeed, if there was ever an IMAX version so you could get those Beatles song blasting through the IMAX theater, that would have been just absolutely delightful. But what I loved about this film, it combines science fiction and looks at the butterfly effect. You know, what would happen if it's a very, very well-told love story, but also it does attack quite directly the crazy world of music production uh, the greed of the managers and producers. And there is one really moment which I laughed out loud, which is the ultimate marketing meetings of all market uh, of all meetings, where he walks in the room as he's kind of still timid and like slightly lost soul uh, as an artist. And there's like a sea of people around this boardroom table just making crap decisions and all agreeing with a big boss for fear of losing their job. I just it was so well observed and I have no doubt that um, Danny Boyle has sat in many meetings like this. Oh yeah, that, that was an absolute laugh out loud moment, that marketing meeting. We've all been in that marketing meeting where everybody <laughs> and his dog are in the room putting their two penneth worth in and and just making things ever more complicated and and rubbish i mean yep yeah, yeah, written by richard curtis as you said so I, I, interesting i mean i do think it bears the hallmarks of richard curtis films i mean the love story is well played out but you can see you know the the sort of uh, parallels with four weddings and a funeral notting hill love actually mm. um even the even the music industry elements which as as you said are extremely well realized and you realize what a hotbed of um, corruption it actually is but even that has parallels with love actually and the billy max uh, sections of love actually where he's putting that single together uh, you know the christmas song uh, so it definitely does feel to me like a richard curtis film there was, uh, we're going to talk about marketing very shortly, but one thing I wanted to mention was also the supporting actors. So mm. we've got um, Himesh Patel um, playing Jack Malik superbly. I mean, what what a performance, both in terms of acting, but also singing. And I thought Lily James played a superb role um, where, with Ellie, who not only is the original manager, but she's desperate for him to write a song just for her. And I thought it was played out superbly. But you've got Rocky, the hapless waster, you know, follows Jack around. I thought his parents, the, 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 when he tries to play Let It Be, and he kept being interrupted by the phone or the neighbours and so on, and they just completely uh, lost, you know, the um, the plot. I thought it was just so, so good. Because it's about the fact that it's about the Beatles, but it's looking at his life and the multi multiple relationship he has from his parents to the love interest to the managers the character plays deborah which is a cross between um fraser crane's agent and corilla deville frankly so it was really well well put together yeah i i, I i'm gonna have a second shout out for lily james here actually because she's seems to have been in so many films recently i mean she was in the second mamma mia film she was in a film recently called the dig there was another film about a a, a, a writer she was playing a writer going to to jersey during the war she just seems to have been in everything but in this film she was acting a socks off mm. absolutely but the character as you said was so believable i think quite a lot of people will end up watching this film and end up with a crush on on lily james she was that good so let's begin a marketing review with a tagline which I, I want to really really applaud here this is how you keep it short but actually you bring power everyone in the world has forgotten the beatles everyone except jack I mean, this is how you do it, isn't it? This is how you summarize something. And I ah. just wish 
that I could do something like this. I mean, again, it, this is the four mash get smash of film taglines, isn't it? It's just so good. The whole film encapsulated in what? 13, 14 words. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, absolutely. And, and as we've said earlier in the show, it meets my rules for simplicity and believability. And it's so engaging as well. It just sucks you in. So in terms of the marketing campaign, this movie was uh, scheduled for release in September 2019. But then the powers that be went, no, we're going to go ahead and bring it forward to June. Now, I can imagine that for the marketing team, up to the moment of, oh, crap, we've lost three months in a marketing campaign. We have to bring everything forward into the Gantt chart or the Excel spreadsheet. And at first I thought, oh, that must be because they wanted to capture the uh, summer audience, Roger. Uh, and piggyback that but in fact it was actually a lot more practical than that it was simply to do with the fact that in the autumn 2019 the rights to the Beatles song would revert back to Paul McCartney and Sony and many others wanted to make sure they could make the film just before yes I mean that makes sense of course doesn't <laughs> it and, uh, and we've talked about copyright strikes and all of that sort of thing earlier in the show today so yeah you can understand why they had to do that um with lawsuits flying around everywhere and, and this this way and that but I don't know about the marketing for this film Pascal I mean I love the posters uh obviously the 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 obvious thing to do was to replicate the Abbey Road album cover of him crossing the, the the zebra crossing across the street and that's lovely i mean it's such a nice poster so simple again the other one i think is a little bit more psychedelic the one with lily james in it's 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 quite uh, vibrant in its color uh, but that includes the tagline that you've uh, just described and i think that that sells it extremely well um and they they, they did focus mainly on the music hmm. now again i said i completely missed this film when it first came out had i seen some of this advertising where the music is such a key part of not only the trailer but obviously the posters and they they also did quite a few um uh, documentary style interviews as well across the world i would still have been convinced that this was a jukebox musical as opposed to a genuine story now maybe they felt that they couldn't include all the science fiction stuff within the within the marketing because that would potentially have put people off. So maybe they decided that they didn't mind that it appeared to be a jukebox musical. But I think had I seen the advertising for this back in 2019, and given the fact I'm not a massive Beatles fan, I'm not sure this marketing would have got me to go and see the film. Well, what is interesting is that I have never seen the first poster you described, you know, the Abbey Road kind of uh, rep mm. rep production. I saw the second one, which I think has been really leading the marketing campaign. I do wonder whether the first poster was targeting the Beatles fan as an audience. Mm. Mm. And then the second poster was going to target, you know, more, forgive me, normal moviegoers where the Beatles hook wasn't really for them. The hook was more around the love story, the the kind of sci-fi element to it. And the fact that it was directed by Danny Boyle because I think his movies are mentioned in, in, mm -hmm. in, in the copy as well as Richard Curtis element. But uh, they had to move quick because in February 2019, they released the first official trailer, which interestingly, I'm going to argue, is rather long. 
we are approaching yeah. are we not three minutes if not more and giving away a lot of the stories to challenge you know the 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 concert on on the beachfront the Wembley bit and so on so I felt there was a really a trailer that gave a lot away but maybe that they had to do so with a shorter campaign where they no longer had the September release but with the June release and then they moved really fast so you had June then from the kind of May onwards, they had to quickly attend festivals, which went well for them because they actually got some awards uh, at some of the uh, kind of more independent film festival and they had to do that very quickly. But then June, which is where the movie was released, they went really, really hard on publishing uh, extended video clips, mm. on ex uh, featurette interviews. I mean, it was really, really condensed between May and June. And I wonder whether... In a way, they did pay a small price with regard to the, the lack of exposure and the lack of attendance. Now, let's, let's be uh, correct. This has been a successful movie. They made a lot of money, for sure. But what like I say, people could have missed it or dismissed it because I think maybe the, the marketing campaign suffered a little for being so compressed. Yeah, I think that's right. It, it, I, 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 I do like some of the stuff that they did. I mean, the Danny Boyle, I think, talking about how they I mean they made a film about the Beatles that didn't have the Beatles in it at all although there is an appearance by John Lennon in it which I think is extremely well done and of course the premise being that if the world's completely forgotten it's not even that the world has forgotten about the Beatles it's that the world didn't even know the Beatles existed then the possibility that he was still alive I think was an incredibly in interesting concept uh, it also leads to a major goof in the film as well you know the lead character thinks about uh, a song he performed at school by his favorite band oasis and this is one of the reasons why he got to know the lily allen character but as when he's doing part of his research to try you know he, he's on google and he can't find any reference to the beatles having ever existed he does the same search with oasis and oasis <laughs> have disappeared from the world yeah. as well and yet he remembers himself doing this um, gig at school, but so does Lily Allen. And she shouldn't remember that because Oasis never existed. So but, hey, I, I know you mean Lily James, by the way. Um, Lily James. We yeah, also I very, say Lily very Allen fond of Lily reason. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, just in terms of the, the June kind of, um, you know, push for, for the film. There's some things I wanted to point out because we are looking for lessons, of course, Roger. One yep. thing that we don't mention often enough in film marketing is the business of film uh, selling and distribution. Mm. So mm. actually Universal and Sony Pictures, I suspect, attended and organized a screening of the film at Cine Europe. Cine Europe is like a trade show, which I know sounds, mm. oh, you should have a trade show. But of course, films like products and services are sold to distributors and you have to pitch and, and show it. And not only did they show the, the movie during a um, trade event, but the two stars, Amish Patel, and Lily James did a 60-second summary of the film, which is now available on YouTube. And once again, back to brevity, back to simplicity, try and summarize you know, whatever you do in 60 seconds. But also, uh, I don't think that this is something that people do enough. You know, they, they don't summarize sufficiently what they do as teaser content before they published the full feature. So I thought there was a little lesson to take away here. And the other thing they did, which I thought was absolutely lovely for a PR stunt, but a good one, they used uh, thousands of extras in some of the scenes. I mean, the, the, the one I mentioned where they do the um, kind of rooftop concert 
uh, in a seaside resort. And they organized a screening for the local people who had volunteered their time as extra, which I thought was just a lovely touch. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and for me, the, the, the two lessons that I got from the marketing of this is, you know, the fact that they did focus entirely on the music, mainly in their in their promotion. And, and why wouldn't you when it's a film about Beatles music? But you've really got to focus on your standout features um, as opposed to muddying the water with all sorts of conflicting different messages or or trying to put too much out there. And I think the simplicity of the messages in this film, the aforementioned tagline that you've said, you know, really stands out. And again, a film about pop culture, again, reinforces to me that, you know, how good is it when you can build in pop cultural references to your content? You know, you uh, your content uh, create a shout-out today with somebody who uses um, Star Trek to put across ideas. Using pop culture is so strong in your marketing. Obviously, you've got copyright issues to be careful with, but most people are attracted to some form of pop culture, whether it's Star Trek, whether it's the Beatles, whether it's Coronation Street, whether it's EastEnders, Love Island, whatever it might be. And it's recognisable. And if you can leverage that recognisability of something, then it's going to make your marketing stand out. The thing that they did, which you would expect, but again, I don't think we do enough when we take it back to our world, is countless TV interviews, radio interviews, even attending web series to talk about the film. It must have been exhausting. I'd love wanted to see a, <laughs> a program of activity for a film and look at you know what Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle and all the others had to subject themselves through. But talking about your content and promoting the content is not something that we do sufficiently back in the world of business. I wanted to spend just a quick moment as well on digital being my specialism, Roger. And I must confess, I was very hopeful because I thought 2019, brilliant, very recent film compared to the others we reviewed, Roger, there would be lots to talk about. Uh, not really. To begin with, disappointingly, the official website is no longer live. I'm saying to the likes of Danny and Richard, in fact, it's not fair, it's not their role to distribute and sell in, any longer, but to the distributors, give the job to Roger and I. We will run this website and we will find things to do with it beyond just the push. They had, of course, the Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter, and sadly, they stopped reusing them pretty much in and around November 2019, so it feels almost once the campaign was over, it was over. But if you think about the fact that it's about the Beatles, if you think about the movie, if you think about the many things you could really go and explore, you could keep the social media account running for quite some time. It, uh, you could do competition with local schools to sing things from the Beatles. You could do um, you know, all sorts of surveys. You could really, really get artists to publish their rendition of songs from the movie online. And the list goes on and on. And I know it may come across very critical, Roger. It's just sheer frustration that as a, as a marketer where we live and operate in sectors where it's hard, it's easy, and they're not doing it. And I'd love one day to be told to be proven wrong, and, and maybe they are. They either are restrictions, Roger, or indeed it's just the way the industry works. But one thing they've done well, however, is keep the YouTube um, content going more so uh, primarily on the official Universal Pictures. So, for example, they released all the soundtrack from yesterday, 27 songs, 
they are online now for free on mm. YouTube. They've carried on doing interviews actually f uh, a year later after the film was released officially with all the actors and producers. So the YouTube bit is working well, but no one has actually taken the trouble to even publish that onto the official website on social media. So yes, yet again, you know, the, uh, so many possibilities and yet they're, not, they're just not being seized. No, I got a 404 error when I tried to visit the website. You would have thought that if they kept some of the content on YouTube that they would be linking it to the website and to the Facebook and to the Instagram. And if you think about what we talked about last week, where Snatch's, you know, Guy Ritchie's Snatch films effectively had a 20-year marketing campaign because they've kept everything up to date. Uh, I think it's a, it's a world of difference. It is. Well... Like I said, people will be forgiven uh, to have missed or dismissed this movie, but it is a joyous experience to watch yesterday. I watched it twice now, and I can see myself, Roger, honestly, watching it easily once a year. Uh, the, the storytelling is excellent. The songs are absolutely brilliant, and it combines everything, science fiction, romance, and comedy. Um, well done. And you know, I'd imagine that o over time, it will continue to kind of garner fans for, for, for this wonderful piece of work. I agree. I agree. And it's got Lily Lily um, James in it, not Alan. Lily James. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Roger Edwards, this was episode 47. Thank you very much for being such an amazing co-host. To you as listeners, thank you for your support. Please leave comments, suggestions in the usual places. Until the next one. Go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Bye for now.